All right, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you back to another edition of Bible and Brew. And we are here on day number 168 of 2020. What a ride it has been. Can somebody say amen? Uh, to Nobody expected 2020 to turn out as it has so far. Uh, here we are in June 16th of 2020. The year is flying by and uh, uh, has presented so many challenges. But uh, one thing that remains the same is humanity's need to hear from God. And we are desperate to hear from God in this hour. Um, so that's why we continue to um, to uh, to push forward with these Bible and Brew. Good morning, Taya. Good morning, Dave. Glad to have you joining us. And uh, we're on this soggy day here in Virginia Beach. Uh, we're going to continue this morning. Uh, our first scripture reading is from 1 Kings chapter 18. I want to ask you to join me there. If you have your Bible, I've got my Bible right here, and I've got my brew. And... Uh, uh, with these powers combined, we can conquer the world. <laughs> so uh, as we're waiting just a moment here for people to connect, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has supported these Bible and Brew uh, live Facebook videos. Um, I do realize also that, uh, that there is a group of people who are unable to watch these live in the moment uh, uh, at 8 a.m. on weekdays. And so uh, for you... Uh, we have started recording these uh, as an audio-only podcast format. I have, for many years, been a, a podcast, a f- great fan of podcasts, and uh, so our church does have a podcast as well. Um, we have not uh, been utilizing that as much since uh, the whole live streaming thing has has taken over. Uh, good morning, Coletta. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, but if you are a person who uh, may not be able to spend the time with us uh, here at 8 a.m. with a live video, this might be a good option uh, to subscribe to our church podcast. Uh, you'll find that uh, link at our website. I've also posted it on our Facebook page yesterday. And what that means is you'll be able to listen to the audio version of this anytime and anywhere you go. And uh, for me, podcasts uh, are very, very helpful uh, because I can listen to them while doing other things. So uh, with those things out of the way, let me also just quickly um, remind uh, our church that uh, we are going to be having an event tonight that I'm quite uh, excited about and anticipating. Um, I've been thinking about and uh, having a, a, a short conversation with uh, a brother in our church, our brother Andre, um, we really felt that it would be a good idea to, to come together as a congregation and, um, and have a conversation, a dialogue about uh, racial tensions that are happening in our world and uh, what should the Christian response be. I really uh, am excited about that. Uh, We are a a very diverse church. I'm grateful for that. And God has given us faithful people of every color, shape, and size. 
that are serving God together. So just want to announce that uh, we'll be doing that tonight. Uh, this is going to be a, uh, a, a church event, uh, a live event only. So in other words, we're not going to be uh, streaming that. So uh, that's it's just for our congregation, and that's the idea. We want to have people uh, connecting well with each other. Okay, so let's jump into the Word of God this morning. 1 Kings chapter 18. This chapter really is a chapter where uh, Elijah begins to take the spotlight of ministry. And, uh, and it's, it's a powerful, powerful story of God's um, sovereignty over all things. So let's jump into this. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. Third year of what ought to be your question. And uh, if you remember from 1 Kings 17, uh, you will remember that it is Elijah who had pronounced a drought upon the land. Good morning, Amanda. Thank you for joining us. It's the third year of a horrifying drought in the land of Israel. Uh, that drought was, good morning, Caitlin, that drought was the result of a wicked King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, who had led the nation into idolatry and false worship of a wicked um, Baal, and uh, which all of the wicked things that came along with it. As a result, um, Elijah pronounces a drought, and now it's been three years of horrifying drought. Now, just in the ancient world, drought is a killer. It's a killer. Without any, without any, um, you know, without, it, it, it's hard for us to fathom here in our in our modern twenty first century here how how um, widespread and how horrifying a drought would be, especially three years, three years of a drought. By this time, people have died, uh, crops have died, people have starved to death, entire flocks and herds are gone. There's a devastating effect to have a drought, especially for three years. It's a point at which, the, hopefully, the people are desperate. And so in this, in this desperate moment, God speaks to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, go into all the land, go into the land, to all the springs of water, to all the brooks, perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way and Obadiah went another way by himself. All right, so what's interesting to me here is that uh, even in the midst of wickedness, there are those who are still doing God's work. There is always a remnant that God keeps for himself. This is a running theme throughout the word of God is that no matter how hard it gets, no matter how deep the pit, God always keeps and perseveres. He preserves a remnant for his own work. That is what Obadiah in this scripture represents. 
that even in the wickedness of King Ahab and uh, even uh, his wife massacring the prophets of God, and yet uh, God still has someone behind the scenes working for the kingdom. Now, as Obadiah, verse 7, was on his way, um, suddenly Elijah met him and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? He answered, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath uh, from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. Now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab that he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord that uh, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 52 cave, and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Obadiah is uh, very concerned about losing his head. Uh, then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, Ahab went to meet Elijah. And it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. All right, there's, there's an interesting truth. Before I move on, let me see what Dave said here. He says, we had a bunch of fake droughts growing up in California. Plenty of water the whole time. We just paid a lot more than normal for it. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, um, what's interesting to me about this scripture is the moment that Ahab sees Elijah, he gives him a title. Oh, you troubler of Israel, troubler of Israel. Um, what has Elijah done to trouble Israel? See, the truth here is not that Elijah is troubling Israel. The truth is that he's troubling Ahab isn't it? And when Ahab sees him, he has a guilty conscience. See, Ahab knows what's right and what's wrong, doesn't he? Ahab has what we all have, and that's a conscience. He has a moral compass buried deep down in his soul somewhere that he knows the things that he's doing are wrong. And Elijah serves as a reminder that his life is headed the wrong direction. That's why his heart is troubled. Um, this is why many times uh, the pastor of, of church or, or any spiritual leadership often takes fire from the very people he's trying to serve. Not because necessarily they don't like him or uh, because that he's done something to offend them, but simply because that God convicts the hearts of men and that conviction is delivered through the man of God. I can remember clearly as a new convert, I can uh, remember still having a whole lot of problems and uh, sin in my life, but I was coming to church. And, uh, and Pastor Campbell, who was my pastor, he's kind of scary. <laughs> uh, now I know, looking back on it, that he's not really scary. He's not troubler of Israel. 
But what was really happening is I was so convicted of my sins that it was difficult for me to shake his hands and, and s- greet him at the beginning of the church service. So I would creep in around the backside and go into the other entrance so I could avoid looking him in the eye. And really what it was I was avoiding was him looking me in the eye and saying, how are you? You know, and uh, th- because that was a confrontation of the, the issues that, I, that God was working out in my life. So uh, Ahab here, he calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. What has Elijah done to trouble Israel? Nothing. But uh, this is exactly what he says. He says, I have not troubled Israel. It is you and your father's house that you have forsaken the commandments. You have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, verse 19, send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, here comes the showdown of the century. Uh, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. This is the main event. That God is going to show up and he's going to show out. And it's all because the faith of one man, Elijah, who is acting in obedience to God's word. Let me brew before I continue. So in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a nation full of disobedience, what is really necessary is not uh, weak-wristed, I don't think that's a saying, uh, is not weak-minded, limp-wristed Christianity, right? What is necessary in a time of deep spiritual famine and drought is bold and courageous faith. Uh, It is coming now to a time in our culture, in our nation, where we are seeing exactly uh, situations like this come to pass. Just yesterday, um, we heard the news come down from the Supreme Court that uh, they they decided that um, that uh, the Title IX rights. I'm not sure if I have the number right, but it's one of those Title X rights. Basically, it prevents discrimination in the workplace. Uh, It was passed back in the 60s, but all of a sudden the Supreme Court has found that when Congress passed that law, they also intended to protect uh, gay, lesbian, and trans people from workplace discrimination. I mentioned that only to Title VII. Thank you, Mr. Smale. Always uh, supportive and helpful in times of need. <laughs> but uh, all of a sudden, uh, the Supreme Court seeks to, um, to use Title VII to protect, uh, uh, you know, gays, lesbians, and, and uh, transvestites in the workplace. Uh, of course, that was never intended by the original law. Uh, but all of a sudden, we, we have, uh, is it possible now that the federal government is going to come down and uh, accuse churches and religious hospitals and organizations and uh, people who have biblical principles of violating Title VII because they choose not to employ people who are outwardly and vocally homosexual and you know various things like that? So anyway, I, I mentioned that to say that we are in a culture that is in this downward spiral of morality. This is nothing new. It's been an ongoing um, uh, trend for many years, many generations now. And what is needed now is not 
uh, chameleon Christians. Let's just go along to get along. Let's just blend in with the crowd. Let's just friendship evangelism. Let's just wear the Christian t-shirt. And look, I'm all about Christian t-shirts. Go creationgraphics7.com. <laughs> I'm all about, you know, letting your message come across on a bumper sticker. But let never let the bumper sticker become the replacement for your own boldness and your own courage to speak up. This is what Elijah represents here. The whole nation is is going the wrong direction. And Elijah alone, it is Elijah and God. But how many understand that uh, one person plus God equals a majority? And that's what we're about to find out in the rest of this scripture. First Kings chapter 18. Good morning, Joni Saul. Welcome in. So we're in First Kings chapter 18. Verse 20, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. See, this is, this is, the, um, this is the mark of a culture that is in moral decline. They are unable to make clear judgments about right and wrong. Remind you of anybody? Does it remind you of a culture we're living in today? Oh, I don't know. See, this is the, um, this is the, uh, post-Christian, the, um, the, uh, there's a word for that. Um, the, uh, basically when there's no more absolute truth, I'm sure David is going to come up with it again. Uh, the, Post, uh, post something or other. Uh, this is the culture that we're living in that says, oh, your truth or my truth. But there is no such thing as the truth. The people could not come up with the, um, uh, with the answer. If God is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But instead, they just keep silent. They keep quiet. This is the sin of a post-millennialism. No, that's not it. <laughs> That's uh, a view of uh, last time's doctrine. But, uh, but when they answered him not a word, then Elijah says to the people, I alone am left, a prophet. Uh, uh, no, it's, it's, it's involved, Caitlin. You're almost there. There's a, it's a postmodernism. Thank you. Thank you. I got it. Postmodernism. So the, the idea of postmodernism is simply that uh, absolute truth is no longer a thing that we can all uh, have our own individual truth. So uh, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. All right. So I can't read this scripture anymore without hearing the, uh, the song by disciple. It's a powerful rendition of this chapter. So uh, verse 23, therefore, let them give us two bowls and let them choose one bowl for themselves cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl. I will lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And you will call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So um, Elijah sets up this this showdown uh, on top of Mount Carmel before all the people, and especially before 450 
prophets of Baal. Now, just so you understand, Baal worship was not some benign, harmless religion. Baal worship involved all kinds of uh, uh, sacrifice. And when we're, we're not just talking about cutting up animals. We're talking about even human sacrifice and sexual sin and um, a pagan worship and blood sacrifices. And, and it, was a, it, was, it was a not nice thing. There you go, God of Elijah. That's a powerful song. Uh, somebody post the link uh, if you can find it. Um, so Elijah comes up uh, with, this, with this showdown to prove who is the real God. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, verse 25, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. Call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them. They prepared it called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. There was no voice. No one answered. They leaped about the altar which they had made. So this is a, this is a picture of the false religions of all of history. Human history, there have always been false religions. And, you know, man has never been shy about his religion. And you say, well, isn't the, the, the fastest growing religion in America, isn't it atheism? Isn't that the lack of religion? Oh, no, my friend. Oh, no. If you say that uh, atheism is the lack of religion, then you, have, uh, you, you need to listen to my rabbi. <laughs> Who says that um, the, the uh, religion of the left, the religion of uh, atheists is the belief in Mother Earth. It is the belief in uh, self. And so when you turn from the true God, uh, the truth is that you will not just turn to nothing. You will, you will not cease believing in something. The truth is you will always begin to believe in something less important and something less powerful. Here is all of the prophets of Baal, and they are dancing. See, now everybody's posting the YouTube links. Uh, don't go there yet. Uh, don't Listen to it after, after we're done. It's going to be awesome. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god, right? Either he is meditating, maybe he's busy, or he's on a journey. Perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud. They cut themselves. They with knives and lances till the blood gushed out. And when midday was past, they prophesied till the time of offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. There was no answer. No one paid attention. All right, so this is the result. This reminds me of Peter. After having fished all night, he caught nothing. This is the result of human ability on its own. Let us never be um, deceived that um, if God is not present, not, it's not going to happen, right? We can put together our schemes and our scams, but if God's not in it, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Definitely throwing some shade here. He's mocking the God of Baal. Uh, maybe your God's out uh, using the toilet right now. Mm. Because apparently he, uh, he's not paying attention to all of your... Uh, and what's interesting to me also is how sincere these people are, right? No one can doubt their sincerity. 
No one can say that they didn't truly believe in what they were doing. Of course they did. Why would you be cutting yourself with knives and lances until the blood gushed out? Why would they be doing that unless they really believed that it was true? And the thing is that it is possible to have a sincere faith in the wrong thing. That's why we shouldn't be angry at the prophets of Baal. We should have pity on them. I, I feel sorry for people who are lost in false religion. You know, it wasn't long ago that we lost one of the greatest theologians of our time, Ravi Zacharias. Somebody called him the C.S. Lewis of our generation. I agree with that. He was a powerful voice, uh, but he testified of how he was converted uh, as a young uh, Hindu, and, um, and his life was radically changed. And, uh, and what he spoke about was how he was sincerely given over to the worship of other gods until he met Jesus. So uh, when we meet people that are involved in other religions, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, um, you know, they're not our enemy. They have simply been deceived by our enemy, and many of them are truly good people. They are sincerely believing in the wrong thing, like these prophets of Baal. And, uh, and uh, we ought to really pray for them. The answer to a sincere faith in the wrong thing is not a compromise, but it is confrontation. And that's what Elijah does next. Verse 30, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The altar must always be involved. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for joining us this, this uh, soggy Tuesday, the altar must be rebuilt. What is the altar? It's the place of sacrifice. The altar is the place where we ask forgiveness. This is why the church is so weak and timid in our generation, because the altar has been ignored. The altar has been minimized. Uh, we skip over the, the altar. And even if the pastor calls people to the altar, guess what? Very few people come. Why is that? Because the altar is a place where expensive sacrifices are made. Elijah had to build the altar. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Verse 31, and then Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seahs of seed, and he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, laid it on the wood, and said, fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Uh, one thing that I have uh, preached about in recent years is where did the water come from? This is a lot of water. He, uh, he put uh, four water pots, pour it on the burnt sacrifice, and something that is so precious and valuable in a time of drought and Elijah is calling upon them to pour out this water on the ground, right? To waste it in what other people might say is a waste of water. He's pouring it out on the altar, but he knows what's about to change, doesn't he? Uh, he says, do it a second time, do it a third time. And he said, uh, uh, so the water, verse 35, the water ran all around the altar and it filled the trench. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, 
Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. I love it. I love it because I don't think Elijah was shouting. I don't think he was doing the preacher spit. I don't think that he was waving his hands and jumping up and down. I think he simply bowed his head and he prayed a simple prayer. And as he did that, God heard his prayer. See, preachers think that if we jump up and down and if we speak much more loudly and if we, uh, if we spit a little more and if we sweat a little more, oh, that God's gonna do something even more powerful and oh, if they're not filled with the Holy Ghost, then we just have to speak in tongues a little bit louder because you're not getting it. That's called pride. That is human pride to think that we have something to offer. I think Elijah simply bowed his head and he prayed a simple prayer. And as he prayed that simple prayer, verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces. All right, so the the power of God is on display right here. Elijah, as I, uh, I, I said earlier, as we started this chapter, that he kind of took the center stage. But the reason Elijah takes the center stage is because he is introducing the true main event, who is God. And God comes out and he makes his entrance and the power that it would take to to burn up a sacrifice like this. There must have been thousands and thousands of degrees of heat in a blast, like a bomb exploding on top of this mountain. They fell on their faces, no wonder. And they all said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Okay, one thing to say it, another thing to do it, isn't it? Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and he executed them there. Let's, uh, let's not forget that, um, that it does not help. It does not, it, the, the, the answer to false religion is not to let people slide, right? It is to utterly destroy. Now, I'm not telling you to go out on a shooting spree or something like that. Please don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, the prophets of Baal had to be destroyed in that time because if they were allowed to continue, it means that it, uh, what it always meant for Israel, that false worship can creep back in into the land of God. All right, so after this amazing show on the top of the mountain, the 400 uh, prophets of Baal are destroyed. Then Elijah, verse 41, says to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He bowed to the ground, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, go, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked, said there is nothing. Seven times he said, go again. Then he came to pass on the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And in in the meantime, the sky became black with clouds and with wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. He girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab 
to the entrance of Jezreel. Okay, so um, powerful picture here of prayer. Powerful picture of what uh, persistence in prayer can produce. So, of course, uh, it says that Elijah put his head between his knees and he cried out to God. And so that's where many of us will stop (laughs) on the first time. Good morning, Adam from Arkansas. Good morning, Andre from Chesapeake. We're glad you're here with us, bro. And um, and so what Jesus taught us in prayer is that one prayer alone uh, does not accomplish what we need it to. But it is the persistence in prayer. And that's what we see. It came to pass on the seventh time that there was a small cloud. The size of a man's hand, they said, rising out of the sea. And that was enough. That was enough for Elijah to say, you, you better start running. You better go because the rain is coming. So a person of prayer, uh, a person of persistent prayer, is someone who will react uh, to the slightest sign of God's answer. And that is a powerful truth this morning. So uh, the drought ends and, uh, and it only gets more exciting from here. So uh, let's continue to stay in the word. Uh, Let's jump to our New Testament reading today, Acts chapter 11. I just want to remind everybody that uh, we do need your your continued support in the house of God. We need you to to help us. Um, There are many, many expenses that we are facing as we renovate our building. I don't think I announced this in the church, but um, we we got a great, uh, powerful, powerful, piece of news from our building owner owner I spoke to him on uh, on Friday and um, and so uh, I told him all the things that we've been doing and we've been planning and and uh, so he agreed to give us another month uh, of rent free praise the Lord so that we can continue doing our improvements and renovations uh, and not have to worry about pay, making a rent payment on July 1st so that has been pushed back to August 1st that is a huge answer to prayer that Beloved is why we pay our tithe. Can somebody say amen? Praise the Lord. All right, jumping to Acts chapter 11. All right, so this happens to be uh, a chapter and a portion of scripture that is very, very relevant in the time that we're living. Praise God. Uh, Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Now I should just take a moment to remind you here that uh, that there was more here ju- than just the division between uh, religious perspectives of the world. The Jews at that time certainly had a very strong anti-Jewish bias, a prejudice, you could say. They um, they stuck in their own circles. And very rarely would venture out. Uh, you saw this in John chapter 4. The disciples were incredibly amazed that Jesus spoke with a Samaritan woman. Why? Because Samaritans were a different kind of people. Some people think they were even a different color than the Jews. Their skin color was different. They were noticeably different. And it surprised them that Jesus spoke with them. And so now here we are in the book of Acts in a very crucial moment of the history of the church where in the, the previous chapter, that the Holy Spirit fell on people who were not Jews. Well, this is a this presented a challenge 
for the Jewish people because they had assumed up until this point that this Jesus thing, that this salvation thing, this forgiveness of sin thing, that this was a Jewish thing and not a worldwide kind of thing. And so now the church is being presented with a very uh, strange challenge that they're going to have to start embracing other kinds of people. Oh, this is going to be tough for them. Let's see how they do it. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into his uncircumcised men and ate with them. So here are Jewish people, people of the circumcision. They were contending. That's a, that's a fancy word. That means they, they fought with him. They argued with him. They accused him angrily, saying, you ate with uncircumcised people. In other words, you are associating with the kinds of people that Jews don't associate with. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, verse 4, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. I was in a trance. I saw a vision and an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners came to me. So Peter explains the vision that God gave to him. I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. He's a good Jewish boy following the kosher laws. Um, But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. God's making a point to him in this vision. He's saying up up until now, the Jews have had these kosher dietary laws and... um, And if you are going to continue to serve me, some things are going to change, Peter. The the dietary laws are not what was important about those uh, Levitical laws. It wasn't just about keeping a diet, Peter. It was about a message. And God is saying that this message now is uh, is being expanded to a people beyond Israel. The voice answered me again, verse 9. From heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was. Having been sent to me from Caesarea, the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Uh, Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in the house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you with words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as it did upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If, therefore, this is the conclusion that Peter has made from this story. If, therefore, God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God saying, the God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. Aren't you glad? And without this story, without the Christian church, without those early Jews being able to associate with and integrate the uh, Gentiles into the believers, then, uh, then the story of Jesus may have remained a very localized and a very small town effort. 
And yet, because there were some people who were able to expand their minds, who were able to allow the Holy Spirit to, uh, to educate and illustrate them, uh, it's that that allowed the gospel to go into the Gentile nations of the world. I think we are facing a moment right now in our culture, in our history, um, where we are once again facing this, this, um, this demon of racism and prejudice. And once again, we are having to contend with uh, division and strife, which only comes from below. Um, and what is necessary for the Christian church to lead See, I believe the Christian church ought to lead on these issues, that we shouldn't just uh, wag our, our heads and wait for this to blow over uh, like a, some storm that's passing through. No, I think that we should lead the world in what it means to live and serve God together. And, um, and so I believe that it is the Holy Spirit that integrates the church. See, in heaven, there will be no division. In heaven, uh, we know there are tribes, nations, and tongues represented in heaven. However, those tribes, nations, and tongues all bow at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that leads God's people to come together in faith. That's why we're having this meeting tonight. And that's, uh, if, if we're going to have success at doing this the same way that the early church did, it will be because people are humble enough humble enough to admit faults when they're wrong, to be able to see things from other people's points of view, to be able not only to sympathize, but to empathize. So here's Peter, who's a lifelong Jew, who is never, never associated with people other than himself. And now he is having to expand his point of view in life. And it's a good thing he did because led by the Holy Spirit, uh, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, Barnabas, uh, they go into new, new nations, new places, and God is able to blow their minds with all that comes next as the gospel goes into the world of the Gentiles. And so um, we're going to run out of time. So I want to say thank you to everyone who is uh, continuing to come along this journey with us. Um, on the morning Bible and brew. Uh, it's been helpful for me personally, once again, to study the scriptures. I hope it's helpful for you as well. Uh, the remaining scriptures for today, as you finish Acts chapter 11, make sure you also go back and read Psalm 135. Also Proverbs 17 verses 12 and 13. God is a good God. I hope that you all have a wonderful Tuesday. And uh, if you're here locally, part of our church, I uh, hope to see you tonight at 7 p.m. for a conversation about uh, current events and uh, the church's response. Uh, other than that, uh, we'll hope to see you tomorrow morning here on the Bible and Brew. God bless you all and have a great day.